0: Hey, thanks for sharing, listeners. Before we begin this episode, Jackie and I wanted to invite you to join us at some events that we've uh, we're going to be doing this year with uh, our friends at Worth Recovery. We've had Amy on the show a few times, um, and she she's putting on some day long intensives for women in recovery. Uh, she's calling it the Courage Conference. Our the first one we'll be involved with is going to be in Salt Lake City on February twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen. Um, and it's going to be a day of learning how to dive into your story and find courage there. Jackie and I are going to be talking specifically about uh, finding courage in your own story, and we're going to be sharing more of our own stories. Uh, so we hope to see you there, and if you're not able to make the one in Salt Lake, uh, through 2018, there's going to be three other courage conferences. Uh, there will be one in in september in seattle washington and one at some point in atlanta and one at, at buffalo new york and jackie and i are hoping to be at all of those um so you can find out more about this on worthrecovery.com um, and look up the courage conference Now, i hope you enjoy the episode This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship.
1: Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app.
0: You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Healing Paths. That's Paths with an S. Hi
1: everyone, welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. Today, we're going to kick off another series on Family of Origin. Yeah. And today, we're just kind of going to take a big picture approach and look at kind of an overview of Family of Origin, what that means, um, the ins and outs, and then as we do with our series, we'll get more and more specific in the Mm -hmm. next couple of episodes.
0: And this this is a preview of some of what Jackie and I are going to be doing at the Courage Conference, which Mm you heard about. Um, before the show started, um, we're going to be helping people walk through these family of origin stories and issues and how it impacts mm-hmm. us now. So if this is interesting to you, you might, um, or useful to you, you might consider joining us um, in February here in Salt Lake Right. for more on this.
1: Yes. And we will, as we often say when we're starting with family of origin work, we talk about that oftentimes we have the mistaken idea that our story started with us. Mm-hmm. And what we learn every time we do a family of origin work is that our story never began with us, that mm-hmm. we are always born into an ongoing story that has a significant impact on us and that very much shapes our own story.
0: Yeah, that story already has momentum, it already has a plot, it already has characters, and you are likely born into one of those roles mm-hmm. um, and the family needs certain things from you whether you want to get or not right um, so as we look into that story uh, today we're just going to talk about kind of some of the different things that um, influence us from our family of origin yeah um, we pretty much learn everything we need to know to be a human being from the people who raise us um, we do well <laughs> we learn what they think we need to know or what even if they're not thinking consciously, we learn what they we give us. We learn a lot.
1: How about that? We learn a lot. We yes. learn a lot from the people yes. who raise us.
0: Um, we learn the rules. We learn the ins and outs. Um, whether that's actually useful for us or right. not, um, I think is another question.
1: Well, and I think you, you bring up a point that maybe we need to start with that says <clears throat> um, it's our belief that what we're <coughs> excuse me, what we're learning from our caretakers and our family of origin is what we need to know. Yeah. And that it is helpful, um, information for us in navigating and figuring out our world.
0: And I'd say for most of us, uh, up until a certain time in our life, what we get from our family of origin works because as we're younger, Mm -hmm. um, we're part of this, you know, the family that extends beyond the walls that we live in, aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, Mm -hmm. um, your family of origin may include, um, the community that you're raised in, um, so when we start out young, the rules that we learn to live by, those often work mm-hmm. because they're pretty specific to the and little tribe that we're in. And because
1: our world is pretty small.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As your world gets bigger and bigger, you may find that what your family of origin gave you is not cutting it. Right. Or it's not making sense. Or it's you- a
1: complete mismatch.
0: hmm hmm And so that's why I think it's um, I think it's important to be able to dive in and understand your story more than just you know, we're the tailors and this is what we always do, but mm-hmm. really dive into what that actually means, what right. the implicit rules or teachings were, and the explicit rules and teachings were, mm-hmm. um, because all of that impacts you. Right. Um, I think the first, one of the first impacts uh, that we get from our family of origin um, is our brain and nervous system development. Mm-hmm. Um, we're reliant on our caretakers to soothe us, to care for us, um, and a couple of a couple uh, episodes ago when we were talking to Kelly McDaniels and she was talking about the baby di- or mm-hmm. crying in the crib and it's that death cry because mm-hmm. the baby thinks it's dying. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the kind of soothing or the nature of the soothing we get from our caretakers starts to teach us about ourselves mm-hmm. and starts to, to teach us about our world. And it shapes the way that our brain grows yes. and the way our nervous system develops. Well,
1: and I've, I've talked with clients about this, that the importance of mothering and I will often say to clients, and to me, mothering is more of a verb. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily gender specific. Although if you grow up in patriarchal societies, it tends to fall more towards an, a mom or a female. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it, it, when your kids were young, most of you, if you have kids, probably noticed. I mean, I I didn't at first. I didn't know what how to interpret this, and wasn't sure if I should feel offended. But my kids would, if they needed something from anybody, that was mom, mm-hmm. right? And they would reference them like mm-hmm. mom because they needed something. And and so mom wasn't this like warm, fuzzy feeling they had towards me. Mom was the person who meets my needs and gets mm-hmm. me what I need. Um, and And in that way, I think mothering is about that yeah and and fathers can do that you know fathers can be and i think we're seeing more and more fathers really play a critical role in that um, formative development of a child which i think is great Um, but kind of those behaviors that we're talking about those early behaviors are this mothering nurturing that mm-hmm. is happening for that child.
0: Mm-hmm. Hopefully the nurturing is happening. Yes. It's definitely what's that expected happen, and needed least, yes. with that child. Um, and I think it's based on how that child's responded to um, tone of voice, body language, mm-hmm. all of that. I think eye contact. Eye contact that starts to teach that child about what to expect from relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, have had a lot of people that i worked with who will talk about families where, you know, I'll ask, tell me about your family of origin. I'll say, well, there were no problems there; we never fought. Mm. Um, later on, we find out they never really talked, they never really <laughs> looked at each other, they never really spent time together. Um, a really isolated environment, um, yeah. and that's usually not. I I haven't heard of a family yet who sits down and says, "We don't look at each other, we don't talk, touch mm-hmm. each other, we don't talk to each other." That's one of those implicit rules mm-hmm. or those unspoken rules
1: that's uh, just understood. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so you see you see an impact on, on kids, and you even see an impact that's different on different kids in the family, Yeah, um, because things like their temperament and personality will play into how they respond to that, mm-hmm. or whether or not that's a rule that they'll follow and work well enough under, or that's something that will never work for them, mm-hmm. and they always fight against it.
1: And I think it's important to point out here, as we're talking about rules, and both covert and overt rules, that the more powerful rules are the non-spoken rules. Mm -hmm. And while a family may have stated spoken rules, everybody's going to comply with the unspoken. Mm -hmm. So if those are not aligned, if there's not consistency between what is said and what happens or what's understood, we're always gonna go with the um, more vague, more abstract, but we'll know it very clearly.
0: Well, and in my experience of parenting, the explicit rules or the the overt rules, like you said, are, are more of the um, this is what we want it to be like. Mm-hmm. We know we're not here and we're moving in this direction. Mm. And there are lots and lots of those overt rules that I have stated and have enforced for a time, mm-hmm. um, but then they fall off because they're no longer important or necessary. Um, or necessary. We needed, necessary, we yeah. needed something else. Um, those more implicit or those covert rules. Um, I think those are enforced with looks. Those Mm -hmm. are enforced with size. Those are enforced, you know, in in a lot of families, sometimes with violence, Mm -hmm. with rage, with anger.
1: Or like a temperature, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's all of a sudden what was warm became cold. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you do or comply with what the expectation is, warmth comes back your Mm -hmm. way. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. And, And as little kids, I think... I don't know that our brains are formed enough to comprehend the importance that comes with the words, Mm -hmm. but our bodies are definitely developed enough to attune to the temperature. Yes. Um, And those are the rules that, uh, those unspoken rules, those are ones that the whole family, they don't need to talk about Uh because everybody matches that temperature. Yes. Um, Well, and
1: we've talked about this before when we've worked with couples and and both of them will be saying, we don't think our kids are picking up that there's any problems Mm -hmm. in the home. Mm -hmm. And you and I usually make it very clear because our belief is, yes, they are, Mm -hmm. right? They may not have the language for it. They may not know the details of it and may not need to know the details, but they will know if there's a problem in the home. Mm -hmm. And often, I mean, I, I still am surprised with it, even though it happens pretty frequently um they're actually pretty accurate Mm -hmm. what they're sensing is not completely out of the ballpark
0: yeah and there's there's evolutionary and social reasons why we're attuned that Mm -hmm. way um i'm listening to a really interesting book right now called tribal by sebastian younger um and i'm only a little bit of the way in so right now he's talking about how violent tribal societies can be Mm. in enforcing their rules Mm. Um, but he talks about the reason why they enforce them mm-hmm. that way is because it's survival. Yeah. Um, he he talks about how in more um, in in less developed societies, um, less work is actually required to survive. The mm-hmm. work on average twelve hours a week for survival, whereas in developed societies mm-hmm. we work about four times that much mm. for survival. Um, but when Food is scarce when there's a famine, when there's a natural disaster. Everybody depends on everybody else Mm -hmm. um, to do that. And often these tribal societies, they migrate a lot. So people have possessions that they can carry with them and nothing more. Mm -hmm. Um, So the actual survival of the society depends on people not taking more than their share, Mm. um, not seeking for power, not um, seeking for position. And so the responses to someone who's out of line for what that tribe needs or how they function, um, they're pretty visceral Mm -hmm. responses. And I think in our families, you know, our society has grown to the point where we don't have tribes of thousands of people. We have a little tribe of the people that we live with. Mm -hmm. And maybe that extends to um, relatives who are emotionally close to us. But um, I think it's wired into our DNA that these are the people that help me survive. And Mm -hmm. so there's this visceral enforcement of what we need to survive. And sometimes that's around money and food. I think often it's around emotional things, mm-hmm. um, like around shame, around the, the story of the family or the secrets that the family holds. Um, and I think there's a lot of enforcement that goes into keeping things under wrap or keeping the, keeping the image up, um, just because of the way that our society works right mm-hmm.
1: now. And different, like you were saying earlier, different positions in the family, you know, you may know the secret, Or you just may know that there is a secret, Mm -hmm. or you may just know that you don't know something. Mm -hmm. Um, But in families where that secret secret has thrived, you know, maybe the secret started with grandparents and it's thrived through their generation and now it's thriving through the grandchildren's generation, you still just know the importance of keeping the secret. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And and I will say, I've had clients where they actually knew what the secret was, so they were maybe the most informed about it, but not being able to talk about it, they hadn't processed it very much. Mm -hmm. And as we start talking about it in session, there's a whole lot that comes out because while they thought, well, I know it, so it's like I've processed all about it, they really hadn't processed, Right. right? because. In the processing it gets expressed it gets examined it gets looked at and that couldn't happen because that might shift the secret mm-hmm. or that might expose the secret mm-hmm. so we can't really process it
0: mm-hmm I think I, I see a lot of families of origin um, organized around the secrets mm-hmm. and organized around the shame um, protecting the shame enforcing with shame mm mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of fear around being seen and being known.
1: Mm -hmm. And that was one of
0: the things you were talking about as we were planning this episode, um, was that story that we tell versus what the story really is. Yeah. Um, and I think often in our families of origin, there are really big discrepancies, Mm -hmm. um, between that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, I think I've talked about this on the show before my mom's mom, um, probably the last 20 years of her life gathered a lot of family stories. Um, and she had them printed and bound and, um, there's probably like four or five volumes of stories from my mom's family, stories from her grandparents, and even some that go back further than that. And I remember when we first got those stories, I think it was at a Christmas, uh, she gave everybody okay. these notebooks. And I remember sitting around during that Christmas break and we would read stories from it and just thought it was great. <laughs> um, loved hearing it. It was really interesting. My grandpa was a World War II vet and had Parkinson's for as long as I knew him. So, mm. He didn't talk a lot, and I felt like this was access to him. When I was about 14, I found out that he was an alcoholic. And as I did more of my emotional work and more of my family of origin work, those stories started to mean something really different. Mm-hmm. Um, even as they would go back and talk about, um, you know, family members who helped settle parts of Utah mm-hmm. and um, taking these really steep, rocky trails with their wagons that. You know, they're trying to hold him back with ropes and things break and these wagons go careening out of control. Mm-hmm. And um, that particular ancestor who was involved with that, um, he would just, he would always say, Well, you've got to have stickity toity or something like that, like stick to mm-hmm. um, but it was his response to the trauma. Like, we can't worry about that, we have to keep going. Right, never
1: mind that this wagon went careening out of control with people in it. People
0: died and disease all over the place. But
1: pick up your stuff and keep walking.
0: Right, right, (laughs) and I I think especially that like, oh, we just work hard and we keep going. I Mm. think that's one of those, the family wants to believe that's what it's about, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really about not feeling the pain Mm -hmm. of what's happening around us.
1: Well, and I think when I do genograms with clients or groups, One of the, you know, because when we're doing a genogram, after we kind of map out um, some of the story and who the characters and the people are um, and the roles that they played, um, then we start to look at, like, what were the strengths in your Mm -hmm. family, right? And one of the things that I find frequently gets put (coughs) on the strength list is that we're hardworking people. Mm -hmm. And for me, I always kind of think of that in terms of kind of what you were saying, like, people didn't have a choice. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Like, your baby dies. A a whole family is taken out by disease or something Mm -hmm. like that. What are you going to do, right? So there was a lot, I think, of, in order to survive, survival instincts may have kicked in, and you just had to not feel it Mm -hmm. in order to survive. And so I think... For most of us, in our family story, there is this don't feel Mm
0: -hmm. that is
1: an understood rule. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be spoken, it may not be spoken, but everybody kind of knows that we don't do emotions Mm -hmm. or emotions don't serve us, something to that effect. And I think some of that, when we start to put these characters in our genograms in terms of, you know, where they... um, the time period they lived in, maybe the country they lived in, we start to understand things differently about where that rule came from mm-hmm. and why, maybe for great grandparents, that served them. Yeah. But three generations later, it's not working anymore.
0: Yeah. And that's, we're going to do a whole episode on cultural trauma mm-hmm. and kind of the context there and what gets passed on uh, literally in the DNA. Yeah. After that. Um, but I think that's a great point that many of those family rules, I don't, again, I don't think the family sat down like, we're going to be hardworking. Right. Um, or we're not going to do emotions. Like, it was all out of necessity. Uh-huh. Um, especially when those are the things that get passed down without question. That comes from a feeling place, right. not a let's think about what's best for us place. Right. Right. Um, I think another thing that, Really comes from our family of origin and and continues to impact us as our attitudes about our gender and the opposite gender or mm-hmm. gender in in um uh, in general. It's a lot of ja sounds. <laughs> um, we we get our earliest. I've I've heard it said before that one of the first bits of our identity is our gender because um, mm-hmm. people will ask, "Is it a boy or a girl?" Mm-hmm. Um, and we get a lot from our family. About what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl, mm-hmm. um, and I would say that's one area where there's just as much explicitly said and done as there is implicitly mm-hmm. um, in there.
1: Yeah, you know, I—I I mean, you have two boys; I have four girls, so neither of us have kind of a mixed gender in our in our kids. Um, and I—I I mean, my kids are much older now. Most of them are. Adults or have hit their young adults, let's say that. Um, but I, I was always surprised when people would say to me, like, oh, when they got to know my girls, this might be school teachers, this may be people at church, people in the neighborhood. Uh, on a variety of levels, this was said to me um, your girls aren't like most girls. Mm-hmm. You would think that coming from a family of girls, they would be fill in the blank. Um, and I would just always say, yeah, they're not that like, but there are those very strong expectations, um, that are implied that are, I think sometimes we're not even aware of how powerful Mm -hmm. and strong they are, or even totally aware of their presence, Mm -hmm. um, until, you know, I mean, if you become aware of it, you start to hear it in a lot of different talk. Um, But I think for most of the people who would say those things to me, they weren't recognizing that they're completely passing on this gender bias Mm -hmm. instead of just saying, this is this child and who knows what that's going to look like or who they are going to be. That's an unfolding process. And we don't know that when we find out the gender, Mm -hmm. you know, in pregnancy or when they're born.
0: At one point, um, someone that I was working with, they just, they found it really helpful to just write kind of stories that were coming to mind from their life mm-hmm. and they got into this vein where they they were writing a lot about um like how the family did vacations how the family did chores like what things looked th- like around the household and uh we were looking over a few weeks at these stories and kind of what what had unfolded and I asked this person what are you seeing in here and they said my family hates women mm. um and It was something that had hit that day that hadn't hit them like that before. Um, They'd made comments before like, I don't think my dad treated my mom very well or my brothers never had time for us. But looking at that whole family history and just gathering the feelings Mm -hmm. from those, um, I think it really starts to clarify what the emotional climate around our manhood or our womanhood Mm -hmm. meant to our family. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And even... You know, more generally than that, our, our personhood meant to the family. Mm-hmm. I think the stories around how family interacted with children and treated children, mm-hmm. I think, is a, a big part of that, too. That's how we start right. getting a sense of how important we are.
1: And that is going to be, it's one of those, you know, sometimes you and I will go and do a presentation um, and we get the audience of mixed ages. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we can have millennials and we can have baby boomers and they're all in the same audience and they'll come up after and talk to us a little bit and give us their perceptions. And it's always interesting because you can hear their perception rooted in some of their generation. Oh yeah. And, and so I think that's important going along with what you were saying. Uh, We may do things very different than our grandparents and what is very common and like common knowledge to us, or it just makes sense, doesn't make sense to their generation Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And we're doing it wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And they, at least in my experience, don't hesitate to let you know mm-hmm. that you're doing it wrong and that you need to do it differently because they know something that you don't. And while that may be true, they may have knowledge that we don't have. Um, we may, as parents, have more information related to raising our children because we're closer in generation to mm-hmm. them. Um, and, and I think sometimes between the generations, we don't recognize that things are shifting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to, when I look at my dad's side of the family, and I have, I don't even know how many first cousins I have, it's, like, dozens Mm. of first cousins, um, and a growing number of, like, their children and and things, and you can definitely feel this, like, when we get together, we we have a Christmas party every year, when we get together, there's definitely, this is what we're supposed to say, and this is what's supposed to be important to us, Mm. And then when I go around to the different conversations that are happening, different families, some families, it's like, oh, yeah, we're in alignment 100%. And a lot of them are like, I'm here because it's family. Mm.
1: Um, I wouldn't hang out with these people. otherwise. Right.
0: Right. right. And I, um, I think some of the family of origin work can be really difficult because uh, it it may not start to sever actual social ties Uh with our family. We may always be around them and may always spend time with them. But I think it starts to realign some of the emotional ties. Yeah. Yeah. where we really start looking at what what has this meant and does it work for me, um, and and we we start balancing that with who am I and what do I need, mm-hmm. um, which I would say, and again I have a skewed sample because of what I do for work, but um, I would say there's not many families out there who are saying you get to belong to you first, mm-hmm. um, and then we work together. Mm-hmm. There's I think it I think it, again it goes back in our DNA we belong to each other first and there's not time for you to Mm -hmm. be an individual. There's not resources for you to be an individual.
1: Yeah. I remember talking to a neighbor and I think my oldest was a baby. I mean, maybe like one but very young, Um, hadn't messed her up yet. And and I was talking to this neighbor who had, you know, gone through a lot of infertility treatment and at the end of the day ended up adopting a baby boy. And so she had gotten the baby boy and we were taking down um, a gift for her and the baby. And I was just visiting and holding the baby. and, And she said to me, you know, she was just kind of talking about her journey and how difficult it had been to let go of that expectation or that hope she had of actually birthing her own child and Mm -hmm. having a child that was literally a creation of her and her husband. And she was just sharing that with me and she said, you know, one of the things that occurred to me during this process is I started to realize that I won't have expectations on this child. Mm. like." because it's a combination of me and my husband it's gonna love math Mm. and it's gonna love science and she's like because we just we just don't know like we don't know the birth parents very well um and she's like who knows but as as this child grows this child just gets to be himself Mm -hmm. and i remember at the time thinking i need to adopt that yeah and my oldest was young enough that i still could and just thought just because she is a physical, biological creation of my husband and I doesn't mean that she's going to, you know, be a spelling bee champion. I was the spelling bee champion. <laughs> right? Yay! <laughs> my kids are so unimpressed with that. <laughs> None of them have an aspiration to be an elementary school spelling bee champion.
0: What What wasted lives.
1: Right? I, I wasn't like national spelling bee champion, just of my (laughs) elementary school, let's clarify. Maybe that's why they're unimpressed. Um, (laughs) Right. But it was this, like, I just had to be unassuming and just let them unfold as they Mm -hmm. unfolded and grow into whoever they grew into, giving them some guidance, but hopefully not forcing them into something I needed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And on, on that, Attack, I, I do think that there are vestiges of that in most people's family of origin I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson that said home is the place that has to take you in when you show up mm-hmm. um, and maybe I got the quote wrong and maybe I sourced it wrong so don't mm-hmm. don't take that to the bank but um, I, I do think a lot of people have that in their family of origin is that when I show up there is somewhat of a place for me sometimes that's a place that's cleared completely for hey however you're coming in Mm-hmm. Um, you can come in. And sometimes it's a very narrow place that's, mm-hmm. if you'll fulfill this role, if you'll keep these rules, mm-hmm. we have a place for you. Right. Um, and that doesn't
1: mean complete hands-off parenting. Right. Right? Like, we still need that nurturing. Mm-hmm. We still need that um, connection mm-hmm. that is really important in the developing child mm-hmm. and adolescent. Um, but it it can be less mm-hmm. full of expectations and... Yeah. Rules.
0: Yeah, and I I think that sense of I have a place with these people because we're related, I think that can root us in a way that few other things can. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is usually something that people take from their family of origin, whether it's helpful to them Mm -hmm. or not, is that sense of I am a part of something bigger Mm -hmm. than me um, and my membership can't be revoked. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And I will say from a personal experience, once I... Had kind of come to an acceptance of certain things about my family of origin, my particular like mom, dad, siblings. Um, I was able to engage with them on a level that, again, I because I wasn't expecting them to do things that I knew they could not do. Yeah. So I could let go of some of my expectations and needs and just kind of meet them where they were or meet mm-hmm. them where I needed, like mm-hmm. knowing who they were. Like I will say with my father, when I really just said this is who he is and I don't think that's going to change. I I took a step back and really had contact with him like once a year. Yeah. Um, and I think he was fine with that. And I think he thought we had a great relationship. Yeah. And it was, you know, two hours on a yearly basis. But once I could let go of that expectation or you're supposed to be this because mm-hmm. you're my father, um, I had a lot of father figures come into my life yeah, and started to recognize some of them had come in before I had gotten to that place of acceptance, but I could then create a tribe Mm -hmm. that could do that for me and people could come in because there was room in my Mm. life for them because I knew that that wasn't happening with my family.
0: Yeah. And that makes me, that makes me feel that the family of origin issues don't just go one way. Like it doesn't just come from our parents to us. I think sometimes our grief and our need and our expectation um, that we kind of put back, whether it's justified or not, mm-hmm. I think that can create some blockages sometimes. Yeah. Um, and working on the family of origin stuff is not just to figure out how screwed up we are or what we need to look out for, mm-hmm. but I think there's actually a lot of grief that goes mm-hmm. into that. And um, I found that when grief happens it usually opens up room for the next thing that needs to Mm -hmm. grow Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that gets to be a renewed relationship with our family of origin and a lot of times I've seen with people that I've worked with that it leads to I'm going to create the family that I need Mm -hmm. Um, and that we can actually get into those relationships without um, being totally debilitated by lack of trust or by just being overwhelmed by being being connected to another person yeah
1: yeah. So this is going to be a fun series. We'll talk about epigenetics. We're going to talk about big T traumas, little T traumas. We're, like Jew said, we're going to talk about cultural trauma. There's just going to be a lot. Yeah. And it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. So, so hold on. Tune in next week <laughs> and we'll have more. We want to remind you at the end of this episode that your story matters and remember that there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished.
1: You can share your story with us on our Facebook page Healing Paths Inc. or on our website www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy nor should it replace competent professional help.
0: At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress.
1: And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time, and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me.
0: Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings,
1: not mastery. I am enough. Amen.